podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Salah. Escape Cancelo. Oh, it's brilliant from Mo Salah. And still, Salah. Oh, sensational. Son had a goal and still a beauty. Oh, what a strike from Yuri Tielemans. The point out. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, EPL Index proudly brings to you the best prediction podcast in the world, a tad predictable, with your host, Tariwa Chanakira, and his guest, Riley Finch. It's game week 14 and you know what that means. It's time for another brand new episode of A Tad Predictable. I am joined by someone that I had to bring back on. He was on last week, Mr. Riley Finch, young sports journalist Riley Finch. He challenged me in my top five rankings. So we had a rank off in our power rankings of the best teams or the best players at the moment in the in the Premier League based on current form, source, uh, fixture difficulty, just likability of the players. Um, Riley, welcome back to the show. Uh, and I don't know if you want to clap, if you want to cheer for me, mm. if you want to tip the cap. I, I'm, I'm here for all of it, to be fair. Uh, you know, can we reinstate that, you know, you won by 2%, Tad? You know what? And, you know it, and, 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 you know, you, you, you come up against and, you know, you, you kind of threw it on me, an underprepared <laughs> person. You, you got the drop on me and you won by a, a mighty 2%. Um, so I don't know, if, you know, if you want to take your victory in that, there's no shame in it at all. Um, but I'd honestly rather have 49% and not have Kepper in my team um, oh, than win, wow. win with 51%. Or, or is that is that what swayed the votes for you, do you reckon? Look, um, so obviously last week, we on the episode, I gave you my top five list, um, mm. Tad's Power Five, and you challenged me. You, you, you said you could make a better top five power rankings list than I could, and you made one on the show. Credit to you, you made one on the spot. That's some interesting players in there. Um, both of our controversial players on our list scored this weekend, so that, 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 that was good. That was good. Um, but the poll was put up by EPL Index. Um, obviously, this podcast is presented by EPL Index in association with Liberty Shield. And they ran a poll. Um, they put both our lists up. So my list had from fifth to first. It was Kane, Kepper, Foden, Gamerish, Haaland. Yours was Cancelo, Xhaka, uh, Gamerish, KDB, and Haaland. Now... Mm. The voting was quite close at the beginning. It was almost 50-50. And I'm thinking this is going to sway either way as the votes come in. And, you know, we start getting votes in. It it ends up being 51% to Tad's Power 5 and 49% to Riley's Power 5, which just proves what I've been saying in this podcast the whole time. I'm undefeated in power rankings. Mm. So, look, mate, um, it doesn't matter how they go in. Absolutely. I told you last week, Conte football 
it's logical and effective. <laughs> that was a logical and effective power rankings. I smack it. Turn too many heads, but it gets the job done, Tad. And to be fair, look. <laughs> I'm coming up against the Manchester City of power rankings here. You know, I'm coming against the, the big dog of power rankings. And I, I was in the game to the final minute. And, uh, you know, you just managed to nod it over the line. So I'll, I'll honestly take a, a 49%. I think I'm, I'm, I'm proud of that one. I'm happy with that one. But, you know, congratulations, Tad. You know, enjoy the money. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. And look, um, it was probably a VAR decision that won that for me, I think. But on this episode, we're going to try and work together. We worked against mm. each other last time. We did power rankings. But at the halfway point of this show, we are going to do a combined 11 for Man United uh, uh, versus West Ham. So let's see if we can be harmonious after the, the scrap we had last week. But the weekend doesn't start there. It starts in Leicester, and they will be entertaining Manchester City. now. Leicester have kind of started to put together some sort of form. Um, they had that emphatic 4-0 win against Wolves this past weekend, which meant they climbed out of the relegation zone. <sighs> when you're starting to put a run of form like that and you sort of put your head up to say, okay, we're doing well, who we got next? Who, we, who do we have to take out next? And then you see Man City on there. Mm. Do you give Leicester much of a chance in this game? At this point, I don't find it disrespectful phrasing the question in that way to say do you give Leicester some sort of chance in this game because Man City are starting to you know pick up a lot of momentum yeah I mean I think they have just lost Haaland I'm not sure if he's going to play or not um I mean I don't think that'll make too much of a difference I think Edson Alvarez is a very good understudy uh I, I do think that um he's very underrated as a player and he'll come in there and I think you know he, he, when he called upon this season he has scored um, but I think this is a perfect time for Leicester to play Titi because at the end of the day, if, I, if I'm Rodgers, I would honestly just sit there and say to them, look, you go out there, you show heart desire, you know, you, you try and play your way. If we get battered, we get battered at City. Do you know what I mean? Just play your way. This is It's honestly like a free hit, this game. If you lose, that's what's expected of you, really. But if you go out there, you put in a good performance and we can get a result, that's just an added bonus for me. As long as you go out there, do exactly what we did last week, you know, try and replicate it. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But as long as we're still, you know, showing our character and trying to put together some form of cohesion in playing football. I mean, we did talk about it last week, didn't we? Whether Rodgers would even be the manager um, yeah. come this game. And, and you know, obviously, talk about it a lot later in the podcast. But uh, Gerard did not survive. Uh, but Rodgers did uh, with a very emphatic win. Tielemans scored. I think Madison scored. Barnes scored. Kind of all the big players you'd expect to turn up for Leicester. They're all starting to, you know, be consistent. But it is Man City, isn't it? And you just think on the, on the back of Arsenal dropping points against Southampton and obviously the, the loss the week before to Liverpool, they're going to be really on it. They're going to really want to make sure that they're getting the points, especially considering if they don't, you, you probably expect Arsenal to beat uh, Forest. Although, uh, as I'm sure you're aware, Tad, it's uh, not always as simple as that. <laughs> Look, Forest are a good team, OK? It, it, I, I don't me. think they're a given. I don't think... What was your prediction given, last you know? week for Forest Liverpool? Uh, I, I can't remember that far back. No, right. I really okay. can't. Um, but yeah, you, you mentioned you mentioned uh, the difficulty that Leicester face in this fixture. You know, the Leicester of the seasons past probably fancy this fixture. You know, the Leicester mm. that had Vardy up front looking to play counter-attack football with City with how high their fullbacks go forward could have been tasty but yeah I, I just think the talent of, of City is going to come through on this one whether Haaland starts or doesn't as you mentioned Alvarez is a capable understudy um, so yeah I, 
I'm, I've gone 2 0 to City. Um, I don't think they're going to completely empty, you know, em- em- empty the clip on this one. Um, yes, they have Champions League midweek, but they've already qualified. So I, mm. I don't think that's too much of a factor into it. If anything, the Leicester game is the bigger game for them because it's going to give them a chance this weekend to do something that Arsenal haven't faced, which is having to play after dropping that from first to second. So if City get a win, it's a different type of pressure that Arsenal will then have to face against Forrest, the very, very difficult and resolute uh, Nottingham Forest. But yeah, so I've, I've gone 2-0 for this one. How are you feeling? Um, I think Leicester will always concede goals. You know, we spoke about sort of Danny Ward last week and he got an illustrious clean sheet in there against Wolves. You know, I'm sure that will go up on his trophy cabinet. Um, <laughs> hats off to him, even though he didn't have much to deal with. Um, I do I do think Leicester have got a goal in them in this fixture. Though. I think if you're Rodgers, you know, you're going to sit in there and say, look, play on the counter. They, I mean, City have been open for the counter since they've started playing pep ball, really. Um, I, I don't know if it's teams just get too scared to counter them in case you know, they get counted themselves. But I think I think they're going to score a goal. This will be 3-1. 3-1, Tad, to, to Man City, obviously. Um, but, you know, without without Haaland, I, I still don't think there's going to be any any sort of lack of goals from that City side. That the, the goals are going to come from everywhere, really, aren't they? Yeah, definitely. And as you said, it this is sort of a freebie for Leicester. 3-1 last look, you just wipe it up, you know, you just rub it off your back and you move on to the next game. It's not going to be the reason. No, that's that's a good result for them, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but speaking of managers getting fired up, um, we saw midweek Antonio Conte getting a red card, um, the last minute goal getting disallowed. Mm. They've had a tough week, man. Now, for me, they're coming up against the Bournemouth side who, I know I was saying, you know, I was talking about how uh, Nottingham Forest have been quite resolute, but genuinely Bournemouth, I think, have looked really tidy of late uh, since they got rid of Scott Parker. Um, and they've shown that they're willing to fight for their position in the league. Now, is this game more about mentality than it is necessarily about talent? Because on paper, talent-wise, I think Tottenham wiped the floor with Bournemouth. But, oh, totally. but Tottenham are coming into this game having the disappointment of two really poor performances in the Premier League um, against two big of the traditionally big six clubs, then have the disappointment of the Champions League where they go 1-0 down, they're struggling to break down, well, they're breaking down sporting, but struggling to score. Um, they level things and then they think they've won it. So they come up to a really big high of, We've just won this game. We've qualified only for the goal to be disallowed, your manager to get sent off. That's got to be about how, from a mental standpoint, they're able to sort of put that to one side, focus on this game against Bournemouth, get the job done here. And then some of their players might have one eye on next week because they've got a Champions League game next week where they can't lose. Mm. So... Are they going to go into the 50-50 challenges knowing I've got a big game, you know, coming up next week? For me, this is all about Spurs' mentality, you know, and how they approach this game from a mental side of things than necessarily how the game's going to play out on the pitch. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you've seen Tottenham's strengths. I mean, like you say, talent-wise, they absolutely wiped the floor with Bournemouth. I mean, unfortunately, they've got quite a few injuries at the moment as well. Uh, Dominic Solanke came off against West Ham. Neto came off against West Ham as well. Some of the squad, uh, Ryan Fredericks also came off. I think I'm not sure if that's a tactical change, but obviously he's a bit older nowadays, and he's been quite good under O'Neill. Um, but yeah, so 
talent-wise, they wipe the floor with them. But Bournemouth are just going to uh, camp in their own box, and and that presents the issue of you know it's going to be a tough game for them uh, from the standpoint that Spurs are going to have to sit there and break down Bournemouth. They're going to they're going to sit there and try and frustrate. They're the away side, are they not? Yeah, Tottenham yeah, are the so away side. They're going to go to Tottenham. They're going to go there to frustrate the crowd. They're going to go down. Well, under well, every Bo- challenge. sorry, Bournemouth are the home side. Tottenham are the away side. Oh, okay. Well, either way, they're, they're going to set up to frustrate Tottenham. There's no doubt about it. They're going to go over every single challenge. They're going to take as much time as they can. They did it against West Ham. They're going to camp in their own box. And then in the last 10 minutes, if they feel that like there's no opportunity for them to go forward, they're going to try and push forward and get something. And that presents the opportunity for Spurs. Can they sit there and break down a team? You know, they've just played 95 minutes in the Champions League. They've gone from the euphoria of, of winning that last-minute goal to being knocked back down to earth and getting cancelled. There's going to be some tired minds and legs out there. Can they sit there for 80, 90 minutes and, you know, get the mental barrage of, of a chess match with Bournemouth and trying to break them down? You know, we know they love to play on the counter. We know they love to stretch sides by using the width. They haven't been able to do that. And also, they themselves have got some injuries. You know, Kane and uh, Son up top is not really working that well for them. The three midfielders, yes, it means they've got dominance in midfield, but they just they they haven't really got that sort of you know the front three of Kulusevski, Son, and Kane was probably the best in the league at the time, and then Kulusevski injured and them opting for the two up, up top. I don't know. I do worry for Spurs in this game. I do think Bournemouth might get a shock and frustrate them. Um, and like you say, it, it is all mental game. Um, so I think it's going to be one of the uh, the dark horses uh, of the, uh, the Premier League fixtures, to be honest. Yeah, so my scoreline um, for this game, I've gone one-one, mm. because and and I don't like giving draws, but I I can see Spurs potentially scoring first um, in this game, but not being able to get that second that puts Bournemouth away. And come seventieth minute, as you've said, if Bournemouth can keep this game low scoring and then just go all out with the last twenty minutes to go, I think then. Spurs with their tired legs with, you know, midweek in mind, he might have to take off the likes of Kane. If they were, you know, were one nil up, I've got a big game in midweek. I have to, he might start taking off some of their key players in preparation Mm. for the midweek game. And that could be their downfall. I'm going to be interested in the likes of billing in this game because Spurs have shown that they're happy for you to take shots from distance. Um, we're not going to give you much inside our own box. Um, we're not going to give away big chances there. But if you want to take shots outside our box, we're going to bank on one, you're not going to necessarily get into the corner and beat our keeper. And two, we're going to have enough bodies in front of it to block it. Or by the time it gets to Loris, he's going to be able to save it. I think Billing gets a a, a goal from midfield in this mm. one. So I'm, I'm seeing this as a very frustrating 1-1 draw for Spurs just because they're not going to be able to get that second goal that sort of gives them that that bit of breathing room. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you just said, apart from the fact when Bournemouth do push forward for those final 15 minutes, I just don't think they're going to get the ball in the back of the net. So I think it's going to be 1-0 Spurs. I think you know the game is going to be hanging on a knife edge and that those last 15 minutes are going to be crucial for Spurs. You know, Like I said, do they have the mentality you know, to maybe frustrate Bournemouth? You know, when it, when the shoe's on the other foot, Bournemouth are going to hit them with absolutely everything they've got in the last 15 minutes of that game. And like you say, Spurs are very happy to say, come on to us, you know, have the space in the midfield. We're just going to patrol our area. But I do think, you know, five at the back and three midfielders, if you want to sit in and protect your goal for 15 minutes, there should be no reason why you can't. Um, 
And also, I don't think Bournemouth have got, without Solanke, you know, without that person to put the ball into the box and win a header, because they're not going to be playing in behind Tottenham. They're going to have to float a ball in there or, you know, they're going to have to strike from distance. I just don't think they're going to get the job done. So I think it will be 1-0 Spurs. The logical and effective 1-0 from Conte there. Conte um, mm. would be thrilled with that. Um, if anything, that will probably be good for the re- uh, resolve of Spurs to be able to get away with a win after the week that they've had and the week that's to come for them. But um, it was a bad week for both Brentford and Wolverhampton, the two teams that we discussed next. Now, Wolves are just... For me, I think the plan for Wolves now until 2023, because it it looks like they're not going to bring in a manager until sort of uh, December time or at least January time at the latest. So the game plan for them is just to hold on to the teams outside the relegation zone as much as they can, as close as they can, to give themselves a chance to then climb out of it. Um, They don't have to pull any trees out or do anything drastic, just a win and a draw here or there, I think, will be enough to see them through to December and then they can, you know, start to revive what on paper is a very good squad, just um a bit lost at the moment. And then they come up mm. against a Brentford side who I think sort of have to have like an apology game for their home fans to be like, yeah, that performance against Aston Villa, maybe they weren't expecting that version of Aston Villa. Um I know we were. We we gave mm. two score lines. The if Gerard stays and if Gerard doesn't stay. And we said, if Gerard doesn't stay, these guys are winning. So we saw that coming and, and lo and behold, Gerard got fired. Um, and Aston Villa looked a completely different team, but I think Brentford sort of need a, a, a make good game. And if you're mm. going to have a make good game, I want to be playing Wolves at the moment. Oh, absolutely. I mean, both sides, he lost four nil, but. I think you, you expect that of Wolves these days. They're, like you say, they're, they're a lost squad. You don't know where the goals are going to come from. They just don't They don't have any cohesion. They're not the Wolves side you're used to seeing. Um, and like I said, I think with Brentford, especially how early the goals were going in, they just got shot. You know, Villa, especially at a home crowd. I mean, if that's at the community stadium, Brentford community saying, I don't think you get anywhere near that scoreline. But, you know, we, we talked about it. We said caretaker's curse. You know, if they come in there, they're going to be want to fight for the badge. They clearly didn't rate Gerrard because, I mean, look at the way they were playing. Um, and what, three minutes in, they got the first goal. I think 15 minutes in, they scored yeah. three goals. So, you know, do do you really take take that much away from that as a Brentford supporter or as a Brentford player? You know, you lost the game basically in 15 minutes. Does that mean you were awful for 90? Um, but yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right, mate. I think a make-up game, they're gonna, especially Thomas Frank, he's going to demand the reaction after that kind of game. Um, and I, I honestly just see that as kind of like an anomaly. You know, you play a a team without a manager, you never know what's going to happen. You don't know what they're going to play, who's playing, what sort of mentality there is. So, you know, that's just a whatever game. And I think that the Wolves manager has now been in the job long enough to where you kind of know what you're expecting um, from that Wolves side. And Brentford do have a decent home record. And I think Ivan Tony again, is going to be so, so key in this game. He's going to be able to peel off. I imagine with the three at the back, they're going to say, oh, I don't know. I'm not, not too sure on the Wolves defenders. I think the, um, the Welsh for Collins, I think his name is, will probably yeah. be put on Tony. I think he's just going to peel away so easily from him, which is just going to leave him in so much space. Um, the only thing, obviously, Brentford do have to worry about is um, the wing-backs, but Wolves have not been using them effectively recently at all. Um, and obviously set-pieces, because Ruben Neves still has that in his locker. Um, but for me, I, I can only see a Brentford win here. I think they've got to have a reaction. 
Wolves just look in such a rut at the moment. I just, I, I can't see them coming to the stadium, especially after four nil. I mean, you look, you know, you're Wolves. You lose four nil to Leicester. I don't think you come out of that game dejected. I think you're just you're just like, well, it, just is, it is what it is. It's another game. It's just I don't know how, how to fix it. What's going on? You know, you're Brentford. You on the back of a four nil loss to Villa, you're like lads, how the fuck did we let that happen? You know, how do we let that happen? Let's we need to go out here and, and you know have a big reaction. So I think they're going to, uh, you know, do their home fans justice. I think it's going to be a pretty decent scoreline for them. All right. What what score are you going with here? How how brutal do you think it gets? I think it's three nil. Three nil Brentford. Yeah. I don't see a goal in Wolves. I think they're going to have a reaction. There's such a a good free flowing attacking side. Ivan Tony. I think is going to be the key in this game. Um, they might struggle in midfield a little bit. Um, but I just, yeah, I just think in front of that Brentford home crowds, I think Tony's going to have a bit of a masterclass. And that's the thing for me. You mentioned they might struggle in in midfield. That was heading into the season. That was one of the things I was really excited about was Wolves' midfield. Mm. When you look at Neves, you look at uh, Mateus Nunes that they've brought in. You look at um, the likes of obviously Moutinho. He might be aging, but he's thrown in there as well. Guedes is in there. I was like. Neves, Moutinho, um, Matez uh, Nunes as a trio could be really fun to watch and could Amazing. probably go and, and dominate a lot of midfields. And mm. it's just been unfortunate that there's been so much turmoil around that. You know, I, I, I don't think it's their issue necessarily. It's just everything else around the club is, is not right. So that's a bit of a shame. Hopefully they sort it out at, you know, at the second half of the season. Um, but yeah, for me, this game, I've gone 2-0 to Brentford. And if I could give two and a half, I probably would. I'm Fair leaning enough. more towards two and a half. Like, yeah, but I, I think your 3-0 scoreline is quite sound. Um, I'm going to say 2-0. I, I still think that Wolves will have enough of the ball in midfield to limit the opportunities that Brentford will have. And, and that just leaves it to 2-0 for me in that one. But Let's move on to the Potter derby, uh, Brighton versus Chelsea. Now, based on Brighton's form before Potter left, this would have been one of, this could have been the game of the weekend. Um, mm. it, you know, I thought Brighton was sort of going as, you know, into games as the giant killers and, and looking to take on all challenges this season. But obviously, no wins yet under Deserby. I mean, he's kind of getting the the issue that has plagued Brighton for so long. And it's sort of felt like Potter finally figured it out that, okay, we're not, we're never going to buy a striker. It's, we're not allowed to. Um, they, I, I don't know if people know that, but Brighton are not allowed to buy like a true number one striker that they're confident in. And everyone. In How dare confident. you, mate? It's Danny Welbeck. Does that make name mean nothing to you? Look, Danny Welbeck, bless him. No, I can't. I can't. I can't. Although, no, I can't. I can't. I can't do it. I can't do it. Uh, but yeah. So, and and I know executive producer Guy Drinkle has been on this on the soapbox for years now. Uh, from the the moment Brighton came up, you know, he looked at their transfer and said they haven't done enough up front. And it's this. It's the easy thing to say about Brighton. Every single transfer window is they've made great mm-hmm. signings, but they haven't done anything up front. And I think Deserbi is sort of having to deal with that now of okay how do we then score goals because they, they're making chances they're having some decent chances in games it's just they can't put the ball in the back of the net um 
which is unfortunate because they come up against, obviously, number four ranked on my power rankings last week. Look, and you know the power rankings could have changed by this week. I haven't looked into it. Um, obviously, the, 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 the stress of last week and, and the pressure that was on last week uh, took it out of me. I don't think I could do another power rankings this week. But Kepa was in there last week. So you know Brighton are in for a... They're, they're going to have to pull something special off. To, mm. to to get past a, a top five player like Kepa, um, but uh, I I want Brighton to do well in this game, especially against Potter. I mean, I don't think they they could stand in his way as a club, um, but you'd kind of feel that the players might just want to stick it to him in a nice way, you know, shake his hand afterwards, but still be like, yeah, you thought you left us for better things, you know, mm. we got we got one over on you here. I just don't see where the goals come from. Unless it's like a Brighton 1-0 win. I'm not sure where the goals come from in this one. Whereas Chelsea are starting to get a, a, a few goals. They looked impressive midweek in the Champions League. And I think they continue that form into this one. I'm going to go, I'm going to go 3-1 Chelsea. It, it hurts me to say it because I'm, I will be rooting for Brighton in this game and I hope they prove me wrong. But yeah, I've got 3-1 Chelsea. I'm going with my head here instead of my mm. heart. No, I mean, you do question at times if Haaland was playing for Brighton, how many goals they would score because they're so good at creating chances and they, they use the width so well. And, 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 you know, I did say this last week. I said, you know, Zabi's basically just taken the Potter playbook and said, right, guys, we're going <laughs> to do everything. We did everything Potter did and make sure when you get in front of the goal, you just, you know, you take those two seconds just to close your eyes and just see, you know, <laughs> it, it lands wherever, it goes wherever. Um yeah, I, I just don't. I don't see what's happening. I think the the loss of Potter is going to kill Brighton off eventually. Unfortunately, I think there'll always be a well-run club. There'll always be a side that that can be the giant killer. Um, but I think without without Potter, they're going to slowly teeter back down the other side of the table. And I, I just struggle to see how they're going to be able to compete with teams, even like Villa now, who you know have got a very good manager and and might be on the up. You know, if you're not buying that that talisman up top. Where, where are your goals going to come from? And it is, it is a very sort of cliche thing to say that all your goals are going to come from your striker. But, you know, the striker should be your focal point. I can't imagine Zabi sitting there saying, look, guys, get the ball into Danny Welbeck and see what he can do. You know, he's going to pass it off or do, you know, no disrespect to him, of course. But um, I just can't imagine that, that that is any sort of game plan for them. And and with Chelsea, you know, I think the, the thing that he's now done is in games where they might, you know, beat AC Milan 3-0 one week and then lose 1-0 to Bournemouth the other week. I think Poss has kind of ironed that out of them now. I think he's got them playing consistently. Um, there haven't really been times this season under Potter where he's they've looked iffy at all. Um, I think he's found his team now, which is obviously very positive for him. Uh, Aubameyang looks really good. He looks back to his sort of Arsenal days at the moment. And I think he's going to run that Brighton defence ragged. Um, obviously, you know, Brighton have got a very good defence. Lewis Dunk has been one of the best centre-backs in the league this season, to be honest with you. Um, but I just think they've got too much quality. And I mean, look midweek, if you're going to, you know, canvas out the box, we've got Havertz and Kovacic, who are just going to, you know, bring out one of the goals from nowhere, from from the midfield. And, you know, let's be honest, Brighton, uh, Chelsea are going to run that midfield the whole game. There's no doubt about it. And, you know, I just I just don't see how that kind of, villain origin story is gonna is gonna come true for for Potter. I just think it's gonna be two nil Chelsea. I don't I don't see how Brighton score in this one. I I've got a Trossard goal in there. 
somehow. There's, there's always the possibility of a Trossard goal. However, it, 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 he's due is all I'll say. He's due a goal. And it might be one that bounces off the referee and then hits Trossard on the nose and it somehow bundles in. But he's going to get the ball in the net somehow in this one. Um, and yeah, that would be nice for Brighton, you know, get it. But unfortunately, it's at home for them. And, and we've both predicted that they're going to lose that one. Um, mm. We'll see if we think the home team is going to lose this one because it's Crystal Palace versus Southampton. Now, in previous weeks, I've spoken about how Palace have gone and lost a game, but they played quite well and probably deserved something from it. And then last week happened. Um, I wasn't all too impressed with their performance last week. Uh, 3-0 against Everton. Um, obviously, it was at Goodison, and I did warn you last week that Everton mm. at Goodison is a, is a different beast. Uh, but I thought Palace would at least give them a, a bit more than, than what they did. Now... The problem for Crystal Palace is they're playing the 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 good Southampton. Now Southampton under Hasenhutl are either good, not not great, not not phenomenal. They're either good or they're atrocious. <laughs> There's no middle ground for Hasenhutl. Mm. Either they're good, they're a solid team that's going to test you, and if you're not on your game on that day, they're going to beat you, or you can just pretty much walk all over them and it seems like Southampton are currently entering into that good phase at the moment so this game becomes a lot tougher for Crystal Palace um, and purely based on the phase that Southampton are in at the moment I'm leaning to a Southampton win in this one I'm gonna go 2-1 wow. Southampton I don't know how they're gonna do it but when they get into this phase they somehow pull out results. They they always it's almost like as soon as Hasenhutl feels he's about to be fired, he's like, Right, boys, let let's actually play football now. <laughs> Gets a couple of positive results and then sort of goes to the beach for the for the next five or four four games. And so yeah, they've had a draw, a win and a draw in their last three games, uh two losses before that. So I think they've entered that good phase at the moment and they're gonna come out on top in this one. Well, I think they were very lucky to draw against Arsenal and yeah. no one takes too many accolades from beating a Bournemouth side. So for me, I, I don't know. I think, and I think Palace will want a reaction. They play more exciting football. I just think that, you know, especially, you know, you talk about the Goodison effect. Supposedly, Sellers Park has the best atmosphere in the league. So you would expect them to have a bit of a result under, the, uh, under those sorts of uh, circumstances. And I just don't see where the goals are coming from for Southampton. Even when they played Arsenal, you know, I often have these these games on in the background and you're sort of watching them. And then after a little while, you're kind of just not watching them and it just becomes background noise. And then all of a sudden you just see this this magical pass and a goal from Southampton. And you just think, where has that come from then? How on earth, where has that come from? And I think whether that shocked Arsenal or not, I don't know. I mean, that's essentially why they're not going to win the leagues because, you know, when, when that happens to you, you need a reaction. And there wasn't that much reaction from Arsenal. But from a Southampton standpoint, they're quite happy being the mayor team that, you know, might get a draw here and there and might get a win here and there, might get spanked 9-0 here and there. You know, like they're quite happy to do that. Um, I just think Palace just have too much quality for them. They're going to play them through the midfield, especially if Ducore is back as well. Um, and I, I think they'll, you know, we talk about reactions. I think they're going to want a reaction from a heavy defeat against Everton. Um, and I think it's, I think it's going to be, do you know what? I'm U-turning. I think it's going to be 1-1. Oh. I'm completely U-turning. I, I was going to say 2-1 two, 
I was going to say 2-1 Palace, but I honestly think that Southampton, like you say, I don't know how they're going to do it or where the goal's yeah. going to come from. <laughs> I feel like they have got a cheeky goal in them. And I do think I do think that this one just kind of have, has a draw written all over it. I've, I've U-turned, Tad. Never a wise thing to do, but uh, you know I, think, what? I think it's going to be 1-1. One, one. I, I think you went through what I've gone through with Palace this entire season in the space of, you know, a couple of minutes was mm. you look at them and they're really exciting and you want them to do well and then they disappoint you. And it's like, I mean, the likes of, I mean, I, I was championing um, the Michael Olise signing and I think he's going to be absolutely phenomenal. So you've got guys like that that are really exciting. You want to watch the Eze's, the... Zaha's the decor as you mentioned Anderson is so good with the ball at the back Uh, he's so calm with it as well so they're a fun team you want to watch them you want them to succeed and then they disappoint you at times they'll play well and then they won't get the result Um, last week not necessarily played well so I'm getting to that stage where I'm starting to give up on them a little bit which is quite sad because as I said I like them but I just think they're facing the good Southampton phase at the moment and they're going to they're going to come unstuck. Then they're, they're not going to be able to see them, to see this game through. It, it depends what time the game is. Um, it's at three o'clock now. The the shot for this the Salhurst Park thing. I think it's for evening games. For me, mm. it's I enjoy Salhurst Park in the evenings more than at any other time. Um, so three o'clock. I don't know if it counts. <laughs> well, maybe they'll surprise me, but I, I, I think it, it just doesn't count enough. But Riley, let's take a break. We'll be back shortly, and then we will sort out this combined eleven. Let's see if we can work together on this one. And we are back. Right. We had the power rankings last week. We, we, we. I think we've shaken hands. Um, it was a hard-fought contest uh, that I won. Um, but let's work together here. Man United versus West Ham's obviously the last game we're going to be discussing um, mm-hmm. on this show. But halfway through the show, let, I'm looking up. I've got the West Ham squad up. I've got the Man United squad up. Let's start from, first and foremost, do you have a formation in mind that you want to propose? Uh, I think we just go four-two-three-one. I'm pretty sure that's what both teams relatively play. Um, so I think we just go four-two-three-one, keep it nice and simple. Brilliant, four-two-three-one. I think that works because um, I've got a player in mind for that attacking midfield role, which I is see, why yeah. I, I wanted a four-two-three-one rather than a four-three-three or something like that. So that's good. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not playing three at the back. We're not trying to be fancy here. Um, goalkeeper. Now we've got, I'm assuming, the front runners are De Gea, Fabianski, and Aurelia. I'm not going to count Randolph. I'm not going to count Heaton. I'm not going to count Dubrovka. Mm. Um, if you wanted to count them, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm usurping you there. I, we're not doing that. <laughs> but Mate, there is no, there is no world in which I'll, I'll bring the word. Oh, I want Darren Randolph in this team. <laughs> like, you don't have to worry about that. That's absolutely fine, mate. That's good. That's a good start. We're off to a good start. Um, but yeah, where are you leaning in goalkeeper? Because I have an issue, and maybe we can discuss this first before we move on to the Man United side of things. I think Aurelia is a 
better keeper than Fabianski. Do you agree? I agree with you. However, if we are we are we basing this off of form? Or are we basing this off of uh, overall ability? Overall ability. Right, right, right now, overall ability. Yeah, I would say Ari- I would say Ariola is a better keeper than Fabianski. I would definitely say that. Okay, so from the West Ham side of things, who's our champion that we're going to go against De Gea? I would say Ariola. Yeah. Um, I. I- it's tough because you know we haven't seen too much of Ariola, but those who have know that he can. I mean, even just against Anderlecht a couple of weeks ago, he pulled out an absolutely amazing save. And I think De Gea's had his critics this season. Um, I, I personally would be going. I wouldn't be upset if De Gea was in there over Ariola, but I I personally think that he probably should be going in there. Yeah, look, um, my worry with De Gea is I don't want him with the ball at his feet. Um, and also I'm worried about his motivations. Mm. I think he's he's been in Spain for a couple of years now. So I, I think we go with Ariola. All in favor? Yeah, yeah. Sounds good to me, mate. All right. We got one on the board. Ariola in goal. Let's let's sort out our defense. Um, we need four. We'll start at right back. Now, <laughs> we know we've got the likes of Kefal, Johnson... Kerr has played there. He has um, played there, and to be fair, I'd say out of the. Out, I mean, last year I'm probably putting Johnson forward, but this year Kerr has been a very good right back for right? us. Yeah, so um, I think he's he's the West Ham sort of champion. I put I put him forward as our West Ham player. I reckon. Okay, at Man United, uh, we've got the wonderful Wan Bissaka. Mm. I mean, look if we, if we want that solid defensive player, we we're not. This isn't Trent football, okay? We we care right. about defense in this team. Then one Bissaka would be our man. There's Diogo Dalo, um, who's probably best suited as a right wing back than necessarily a, a right back. So Man United side of things, it's not looking too great, mate. No, this could be two zero heading into this. I I I think Dalo has to be in there to be honest. I oh. I'm... I think Dallo over Kerr. I think he's more of a right back than Kerr is, and I think there is an argument potentially for him to be one of our centre backs. He's been our best centre back this season, I would argue. Um, and I think Dallo has been very, very solid for Man United this season. So I'd probably put him forward over over Kerr, to be honest with you. You know what? He has had a decent season. It's not mm-hmm. the, the thing I like about Dallo this season is that I don't have to talk about him, and I don't remember talking about him. Yeah. And in the United squad, I don't need him to be Reese James or or Cancelo or Trent or any of those. Just do your job. Don't screw up. So I'm happy with having a right back that just is just there and doesn't does have the to job, do it. Yeah, he just does the job. He doesn't have to do it. All right, so we're one one. Um Dallo makes a team. Welcome to this the the Tad Predictable starting eleven. Dallo in centre back. We've got the likes of um, Kurt Zuma, Dawson, Ogbonna, I'm throwing in there. You mentioned Kerr, so I'm assuming he's going to be in with the shot there. Mm. Uh, I don't know if you're counting Creswell as a right as a centre back or not. Oh no, no, um, not, not 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 these sort of days. Not these days. Yeah. Right. Um. I don't know if there's anyone else you want to shot. I mean, Aguard would be a strong contender, but we've not really seen him this season so i don't know no. how you feel about throwing him in there um, no it would feel, it'd feel unjust it would feel unjust to chuck him in there to be honest okay so on the other side of things unless you got another shot in there we've got Varane, who unfortunately has just gotten injured 
Uh, we got Martinez, Lindenhoff, Maguire. It's got to be yeah. Maguire, isn't it? Look, our, our, can we admit that our defense is not looking great? I, th- I think I think we're you know we're, we're trying to score goals to prevent <laughs> goals. I think and, and you know we, we're going balls to the wall with the goals in 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 this team. And, and luckily both teams are very good attacking sort of qualities about them. Uh, we're building from the back, but we don't want to keep it there for very long. Is basically no. what we're going for. But to be fair, there is an absolute world class centre back in there, and his name is Martinez. He's been unbelievable for Man United this season. And I have to say, I was I did question whether a five foot nine centre back could cope with the physicality of the Premier League. But if anything, it's he's probably one of the strongest centre backs in the league. You know, he's just got he's got this fire about him. And I think to be fair, his low centre of gravity means that he can kind of just climb up opponents, if you know what I mean. He, he can springboard <laughs> Get the off. Of up. Yeah, he's got he's got such a good aerial defensive record. And he's not afraid to, put, afraid to put that challenge in. He's been very solid for United. I think he has to be one of our two centre-backs. And um, I know a lot of Man United fans will put forward Varane, but I think if you watched any sort of, look, one goal, one own goal, one penalty conceded, it doesn't look good for Kerr on paper. But in principle, he's been a really, really good player for us. And I think personally, he has to be in there for me. I think this is probably going to be one of the the tougher decisions in who mm. partners Martinez because I, I do get the shot for Varane and I like yep. his speed over Kerr. I think with how poor our defense is, we're going to need Varane to cover at the, you know, because balls are going to go past everyone and we need, he might not be great at everything else, but at least he's got some level of pace. Whereas I don't know if you think Kerr can, like if they turn our defense and we've got little legs Martinez and Kerr, <laughs> At the back, I'm worried that people are just going to blitz past us. I mean, Peter Crouch would Tra- have a field day, wouldn't they? They would, but they're going to have Adama Traore up front, and he's just going to start running at the halfway line, and it's going to be game. That's my only concern. How, mm. Do you have a retort to that? Uh, I think Kara doesn't need speed. He's quite good yeah. at being on the back foot. His positioning is really good, and he's a really good tackler of the ball. And I think if you've got Martinez in there as the kind of the stopper. Let's not forget here, we need a ball-playing centre-back. Yeah. And Kera is a brilliant ball-playing centre-back. And I'm not too confident on Varane's ball-playing abilities. And I think he does have the tendency. I mean, here's what you get with Varane. You know, Varane's kind of the uh, the, the South, not the Southampton, but he, he, he has one world-class game. And you think, that's why we bought him. That's why you got him from Real Madrid. And then he has a very mare game. With Kera, you get consistency every game every game is consistent so whether you're willing to put Varane in there on the off chance that he's going to have a stinker or whether you put him in there for the you know the chance that he might have an absolute world-class game you know I th- I'm, I'm leaving it up to you Tad I'm not I'm not gonna I'm, I'm happy I'm happy for Varane to be in there but I think you should be the deciding vote look you've convinced me Alcara um I think consistency is key for our team especially considering we're not that great at the back so we need guys that we're not going to have to speak about. The only one we'll speak about is Martinez because he's going to be the scrappy one. Just the little terrier at the back. And then everyone else just don't screw up. Um, so, yeah, I, I, consistency is key for that one. Let's move on to left back. We've got, I think Creswell then gets thrown in there mm. for left back. Is is there anyone else at 
West Ham I mean, want to throw in at left back confidently. There's Emerson, but he's not getting in there for me. No, he, yeah. Uh, and that's why I threw in confidently at the end. There. Yeah. Um, so I think it's between Creswell, Shaw, um, Malassia. Yeah. Has looked impressive at times. I mean, Brandon Williams is injured. He's not really played. I, I don't think he's a factor. <sighs> Shaw had a good season a couple of seasons ago, like two seasons ago, if I'm not mistaken, where he sort of rolled back the years. He had a last dance moment and then he's disappeared again. Mm. I like the tenacity of Malassia. He seems to have this, he's got that dog in him attitude um, that never die attitude. And if you've got him and Martinez on that left-hand side, we just got the two scrappers just yeah. just breaking people's legs. I think it's probably what's going to happen on that side of the pitch. Or we get maybe the more calmer, experienced Cresswell, who I think would also be key at set pieces. Is, is what I'm thinking for Creswell because mm. he does deliver a decent ball. Yeah, he's got a great dead ball delivery on him. And I think back end of last season, he had a really, really tough end to the season. He, I think he had a red card in one of the knockout stages, missed the game, came back and then got another red card. And I think myself and a lot of West Ham fans sort of thought, right, we need to left back in the summer. I mean, that was one of the number one things on, on our priority list. But to be fair, he's coming this season and he's he's been world class he's probably been one of our best players um and he probably hasn't got the credit he's deserved this season so for me i have to put creswell in there ahead of malassia i don't i don't watch too many man united games but if i do i don't see him as a focal point in the team i never really like i say he, he he's got tenacity he's got a bit of fury in him but with creswell you get the dead ball specialist you get an absolutely world class delivery and again, you get consistency. That's what he's been all been about this season. And I think Creswell's been there and done it. He's been in the Premier League for donkey's years now. I think you have to put him in there over Malassia. Yeah, I agree with that. And if we're continuing with our ethos of don't do anything silly, um, you, we kind of have to go with the experienced player there, I think. Mm. Um, right, let's sort out our midfield two. So it's uh, Declan Rice and who is it, is it going to be? <laughs> Look... Um, I had a feeling the reason you wanted to put Kerr in the team was so that he could have a vote to add Declan Rice because that's all he talks about at the moment. I think, I think, I think if Declan Rice gets a move away from West Ham and it's a big like player contract for him, I think Kerr needs to get a portion of it. I think that's only fair because he's been his his public spokesman. Um, mm. And you know, if you look at a player like that that's been at PSG and played with really quality players, and he's talking you up like that. Maybe people need to listen. But I guess for you, maybe people don't need to listen and then Rice stays a little bit longer. But yeah, look, I think for that midfield, I agree with you. Declan Rice, guaranteed starter. I don't understand why Man United didn't go for him in the summer, if I'm being honest. I think you just throw him in there um, and he goes a long way to helping sort out their midfield issues. But I guess their loss is your gain. So Declan Rice starts in midfield. Now it's the issue of who do we play with him. Let's I think see. Christian Eriksen, to be honest with you. I think you've got, you've got, Su- Suchek's out of the running completely. He's been, I know you're a huge Suchek fan. I know you're a massive, Suchek. massive Suchek fan. I love Suchek. <laughs> Probably about a season and a half ago. <laughs> um, as soon as he got that rumour that he might be going towards Bayern Munich, he, I don't know. He's he's not been the player. He's he's been awful. So he's nowhere. He's nowhere near the conversation. 
I then think you've got McTominay, who again is nowhere near the conversation. And, you know, in another world, maybe Casemiro would be in this team, but we're not having two defensive mids. I think Declan Rice is going to be in that sitting role. And then you want someone like Christian Eriksen, the playmaker, someone who's going to slip a ball through. Um, but I think that'd be a really, really fun pivot, actually, Eriksen and, and Rice. So I think that'd probably be my my vote, Tad. I don't know what you think about that. That's an interesting one. And it, it might be one we might have to throw to the listeners um, in, 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 a, in some sort of vote for this week of who completes our midfield. Because I'm very keen on having Casemiro and Rice. And mm. saying Casemiro sweeps everything up because we don't want to limit Rice. I, I don't want Rice to just be defensive minded because when he carries the ball, he, he can move. And he, so it feels like we're, we're limiting him a little bit. I get the Ericsson ball playing ability. Um, but I think Casemiro and Rice just to bully people and just destroy people. And then the ball carrying of Rice going forward especially because our wingbacks aren't that great um <laughs> I, i'm i'm leaning casemiro do, do you want to put this to a vote we can put this one to a vote or listen mate i, have I, I think you? you're a bit of a smooth talker i think you can you've, you've convinced <laughs> me on the casemiro I, I, i'm happy to put casemiro in there especially if we're going with the rhetoric that rice can go forward because as you say he is really really good going forward yeah. so i think that is a pretty scary midfield to be fair yeah uh, i i was very keen on rice to to have license to go forward. I, I don't want mm. to limit him. Uh, I think that would be a shame. Um, right. So let's go to our wingers and our attacking midfielder. Now we've got a lot of wingers that we could throw we in there. Um, Bowen, obviously decent shout in there. For Niles, I don't know if you'd want to throw him in the winger or he's going to be in attacking midfield. Similar with Ben Rama. You could argue for either way. I mean, Paqueta, he jumps out. Um, Cornette, I'm going to be honest, I don't think he makes it for me. I don't think Lanzini makes it for me. Um, I don't know if you want to throw Downs or Coventry in there. I think they don't make it for me. But if no, you, no, if you not want to argue role. for any of them. Um, but on the other side, we've got the likes of Rashford, obviously for one of the wider players or up front if someone wants to make an argument for that. But I've got a striker in mind already and Rashford's not mm. in. Um, we've got Bruno Fernandes, who I think is a strong contender for the camp is I think personally I think it's between Bruno Fernandez and Paqueta and mm. maybe if that if you feel that way as well we could then just have that conversation and kill that position straight away do you have anyone else you want to throw in, in the camp position no, or does Ericsson then get thrown in there as well no I don't I think Ericsson's role is in, as an eight these days I don't, yeah. I don't see him as a, as a proper number 10 anymore I think the the thing with Fernandez is obviously when he first came he was amazing um, and he's just, he's very, very mad these days. You know, you know what Fernandez you're going to get. And to be honest, he just, he just annoys me. He's a bit of a whiner. He just, he just seems to complain quite a lot. The thing with Paqueta is I do think, I mean, Paqueta's a Rolls Royce footballer is the problem. I mean, he does, he does get stuck in, but he's a Rolls Royce footballer. And I haven't seen enough of him in the Premier League to say that he's better than Fernandez. And, and to be honest, Fernandez has not had a good season. So, I'm very, very sparingly saying that, but I, I begrudgingly think Fernandez probably just tips it for me, just from what we've seen him in the past. Um, and I think also Paqueta's probably a little bit more suited to a three-person midfield as opposed to playing in the ten-roll by himself behind a striker. Um, 
So yeah, I'm I'm I'm, prob- I'm probably gonna begrudgingly go for Bruno, but I do think that is a lot closer than people think. Yeah, I, I think so too. And look, I think there's Bruno with Cristiano Ronaldo and Bruno without Cristiano Ronaldo, and I think Bruno without Cristiano is far better. Mm. Um, and I think if we've got Rice and Casemiro behind him, he's going to have license to just be creative, and that's the best Bruno. He he doesn't have to worry too much about the defensive side of things. So, yeah, I think he slots in there. Uh, Paqueta just missing out. I, I think he's going to be special. Um, I think teams are going to be upset that they let him go to West Ham. No disrespect. But I think they are going to be teams higher up the, 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 the European leagues that should have gone and gotten Paqueta. So I think that's brilliant signing by West Ham. I, I love him. I, I, I can't wait to watch more of him at West Ham. Right. Let's move on to our wingers. Um, we've mentioned already the likes of uh, Bowen. I don't know if Ben Rama gets thrown in there as well. Um, for Niles, if you want to push him out wide. Then from United side of things, we've got Rashford, Sancho, Anthony, Elanga. Um, you know what? This is going to be tricky because... Give, let me hear your thoughts because I'm 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 trying to think here. Um, but yeah, what what are your initial thoughts on that? that well, area? I mean, I'm interested in maybe even seeing if Paqueta could go out wide. I'm not. Okay. I don't know. I, I mean, he has played out wide for us, and he does play quite well out wide. But I think probably more as like a winger than as a as a right mid. Um, I think in this sort of scenario, you probably want someone like Anthony who's going to be able to, especially if you're getting camped in your own box, going to cut inside and do one of his, you know, brilliant sort of, he does seem to only be able to do that. And he seems like he's only got one foot, but um, I think for me, Anthony probably has to be in there. And then you get the the debate of, should it be Ben Rama on the left or Rashford? And to be honest, as much as you look at how good Rashford's been this season, he's played up front. I think Ben Rama for me, you know, what you want out of a winger, he's going to drive at people. He's going to have that, you know, let's be honest, Ben Rama and Creswell already play together. You know, you've got a Man United side, one side, you've got a Creswell, Ben Rama side, the other. They know how to play together. They've got really good interchange on the left-hand side. He's going to be able to drive at opponents, create space for Creswell to then drop into and put in one of his famous deliveries. So for me, it's got to be Ben Rama and uh, Anthony. Fascinating. I genuinely thought Bowen would be your, your number Look, I one mean, shot. Bowen has been so... He's just not been himself this season, yeah, and I think I you know if if any, and I think in a four-two-three-one with our with our new striker up top in Skamaki, he doesn't really drift wide. You know, he can't interchange with Bowen. Yes, Bowen can always cut inside and um, you know, cre- you know, get into that space. And and if Skamaka drops, he can also do that. But it's not the same way as where you know Bowen will cut in, Antonio will go to the wing and you know it's not the same thing so for me and and obviously that probably spoils who I'm going to go for at striker um but yeah for me I think probably Anthony just edges him and I think Anthony will probably have a better career than Bowen anyway um so yeah for me I'm probably going to go Anthony over Bowen at the moment we're talking last season Bowen you know I'm putting Bowen in there and you can argue with me as much as you want but uh this season I'm probably gonna give it to Anthony yeah we'll we'll go with the form player in that one and I guess Sancho will feel a bit disappointed that he hasn't made it, but I think Sancho would only make it on potential rather than actual production. Um, mm. I think he he's underutilized at Man United, but 
we're picking on what he's showing us at the moment. And I don't think he's showing us enough to get into the team. Um, but I like that blend. We got United on the right-hand side. We've got, so maybe we'll switch because I've got Declan Rice as the right center midfield and Casemiro as the left, but I might switch them so that Casemiro's on the Delo and, and Yeah, I mean, Rice, Rice put on the left-hand side yeah, for us anyway, um, so that um, makes sense. Perfect. I'll switch them. Um, although I, I don't know if I can switch Martinez and Kerr. Um, no, I think you leave nah, you leave them where they are. Them. Yeah, I think so. Okay, sweet. So obviously we now have one position left, the striker. So tell us why it is um, Mikel Antonio. Uh, I mean, he deserves the shout for sure. He's, but he's more of a super sub, to be honest. I think, you know, you, you get that team nice and sort of tired at the end of the game. Who's the one person you don't want to see taking off their bib at the end of the game? Is Antonio. The guy is so strong and powerful. You know, you can imagine Martinez playing against him on Sunday. You just had a whole game of wrestling past Kamaka, who is a physical player, getting run ragged. And then all of a sudden, this massive guy just comes on and he's just going to be at you the whole game. And let's not forget, he's also got this very weird way with the ball, this very jammy connection with the ball where, you know, it doesn't look pretty, but he makes things happen. Um, but for me, it's got to be Skamaka. I think Skamaka makes our team tick at the moment. The way, almost like Harry Kane, you know, the way he drops deep, receives the ball, like a layer pass off. He's also got a very good finish on him. And once again, you know, we love to see Bruno going forward. If he drops deep and then Bruno comes forward, that's going to be a nice little interchange there. And he's got such a great strike from the edge of the box. He's probably one of the most powerful strikes I've ever seen of a football. Um, and look, you obviously Ronaldo's got to be in the conversation for us um, and Rashford probably deserves a little bit of recognition as well for what he's done but I don't think he's an out and out striker personally um, and look the Ronaldo situation is what it is but I think for me this season Skamak has shown me more and I think he would suit this team better like you say the Bruno with or without Ronaldo is better suited to without um, so yeah for me I'm going for the Italian stallion Gianluca Skamaka. He was the first name I wrote down when we made the when when I was thinking of this list. He was he he has to be the striker. Look, I get the arguments for Ronaldo, but for me, the arguments for Ronaldo about what he's done in the past, not what he's doing at the moment. And for a if you want a team, you need to not have Ronaldo in it. If you want a team built around Ronaldo, then maybe we could throw Ronaldo in there. I, as I've mentioned in the past, I think he's an arsonist and the firefighter at the same time. Doesn't really give much in terms of helping the team out until it's time for him to score a goal. And we don't need that. I think Bruno feeding off of Skamaka, those, Bruno pinging it at Skamaka and running off of him is, is going to be beautiful. So we've got our team. We've got Aurelio, Aureloa at goalkeeper, Delo right back. Our centre-back pairing are Kera and Martinez with Creswell at left-back. Casemiro and Declan Rice in midfield. Oh, that midfield is so beautiful. Um, attacking midfield, Bruno Fernandes. Our wingers are Anthony and Ben Rama with Skamaka up front. I, I think this team would terrorise the Premier League, mm. quite frankly. Um, are you happy with that? Uh, do you know what, mate? I think that's a perfect blend of West. I think what, what we got in there, we got... Um, I mean, to be fair, we've only got, was it four Man United players in there? Which is. We've got Delo, Martinez, Casemiro, Fernandez, Antonio, um, Anthony, and. Uh, oh, no, Anthony. Yeah, so four Man United. 
which is quite controversial because West Ham have had a terrible start to the season. So maybe, maybe I'm being tiny a bit biased here, but I think that's a very balanced team. I think I think I, I personally think that that's the team. I don't think there's many there's yeah. many if, if people there. want to break the tie, they can throw in De Gea instead of Aroloa. But yeah, whatever. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't care. mind Durant too late. Pera that we've much. Made the list. But we yeah we we've got to back ourselves. Yeah, we do we do. So I'm I'm happy with that list. And and speaking of dream teams, um, we move to a team that's probably going to be able to make a dream team in a couple of years' time. Newcastle versus Aston Villa. Now, post Steven Gerrard, Aston Villa, we need to see if that was just a one-off thing, like a mm. screw you type thing, and then we revert back to chilling. Or if it was actually a, no, we're going to show people we're this good. Versus probably the most informed team in the Premier League at the moment, Newcastle. They only lost one game this season. Um, they're looking really impressive. And they're finally into the top four and if they finish in the top four they're going to speed up their development a lot quicker than people expected so how do you see this game going because it's going to be hard as we saw with Brentford to be able to decide what Villa's going to do what you know what Villa turns up but based on Newcastle's form and they're coming home probably to a hero's welcome at St. James's Park this could low-key be the game of the weekend yeah, I, I, I think Newcastle are going to win it regardless. Um, it's a weird one. I mean, Emery coming in. I, I, the thing is, I, I would say that you know people will critique him and say he's not a relegation manager. But to be honest, he hasn't got a relegation squad. He has got a squad that is made for attacking football, that's kind of made to break into the top 10. Yes, you need a couple of... Uh, you need, you need a couple of upgrades in there, but it is definitely built. And I think he's going to get the best out of Philippe Coutinho. He's going to get the best out of Ollie Watkins. Um, he's going to get the best out of Matty Cash. Will he get the best out of Tyra Mings is my issue. You know, I'm not sure. <laughs> can anyone um, get the best out of Tyra Mings? I, I, I don't think that's on that's on Emery. I, I, I think we've already seen the best of Tyra Mings, to be <laughs> honest. And that's the issue. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think Newcastle are just, they're so consistent. You know what you're getting from them. Um, Almiron, once again, Probably should have made our top fives, really. He's been yeah. amazing this season. And, I, you know, that Villa midfield does not scare me at all when you've got someone like Gimoresh in there, Joe Linton mopping up the sort of scraps and, and you know, taking the shots that he needs to take. Um, I do think Villa will make it harder for them. Than they, and, and let's be honest, Newcastle don't score that many goals. Like, they're consistent. They play really well. They create chances. They don't score that many goals. I think they're really missing St. Max at the moment to, for that to happen. So I think it's going to be 2-1 Newcastle. Um, I think for a big portion of the game, though, it is going to be a draw. Um, I, uh, you know, I think, like you say, we're not sure how much of a reaction we're going to see from uh, Mr. Good Evening. Uh, it will be interesting to see what team he puts out. I'm interested to see what sort of, you know, are you going to get that reaction of I'm, I'm fighting for my manager, I'm fighting to keep my place now. It'd be interesting to see. I think that will definitely be the game to watch. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely interested in that one. Um a lot of players that will be playing for their jobs, so to speak, with Emery coming in and the transfer window coming very soon. Um so there's a lot of pressure on those Villa players to to sort it out and, and get on board with what he wants to do. I've gone two one as well. Um I, I think that's the perfect scoreline for this game. Uh, a spirited Villa effort which leads to a Newcastle win in the end. But we've seen a spirited performance from Everton last week. They get that 3-0 win against Crystal Palace. They now have to travel, which they're not so great at, uh, mm. to Fulham. And Fulham have 
look, they, they started the season well. Then Mitrovic got injured and they had a bit of a slump. He comes back. They're back to being good again. And I just think he's going to cause so much problems to the likes of Connor Cody. I don't see the, how they handle him. I'm going to keep the short and sweet. I think this is going to be a 2-0 Fulham win. I think they're going to be able to handle Everton's counterattack uh, enough to keep a clean sheet. And they, they're just going to be able to bully them up front. Yeah, I mean, one thing we've never seen from Fulham, and, and it's one thing that I think every... I don't get this rhetoric of, of sides coming up and thinking that they've got to play negative football against teams. I think you, you come up from the Championship, you've got to play attacking football because you can always score goals in the Premier League, but trying to keep it out is a different story. They looked really impressive against Leeds. Like you, short and sweet, I think, again, it's going to be 2-0. I think you've lost that Everton of uh, the uh, sort of Goodison Park effect. Uh, you're at home at Craven Cottage, which to be fair is a good stadium and has a good atmosphere in itself. Um, I think they're in a good sort of position at the moment. I just think, yeah, I just think they're going to win 2-0. I can't, I can't see a rekindling of uh, Everton's sort of form that they had against Palace. Yeah, um, which is fair enough. They'll, they'll, they'll save their performances for when it's at Goodison Park. But let's move on to a team that saves their performances for, I guess, Champions League nights. Um, Liverpool, they've been struggling in the league, had that disappointing loss to Nottingham Forest. They did qualify, you know, for the next round of the Champions League. If you look at the scoreline of of the game, you're probably thinking, oh, this was a comfortable victory for Liverpool. But if you look at that game, if you watch that game at the beginning, Ajax could have easily been 2-3-0 up. It's just they didn't take their chances. They hit the post. They hit the last man sort of blocking the ball. Like mm. they had chances to upset Liverpool in this game. So wasn't as comfortable as the scoreline shows. So Liverpool are definitely going to give Leeds chances in this game. Am I confident that Leeds can take those chances? They've shown in the past that sometimes they can, sometimes they can't. Uh, the, you know, the likes of Bamford have to be really on it and just be efficient with their chances. But I'm definitely not giving Liverpool a clean sheet in this one. But let's hear what you're thinking about in terms of your scoreline and, and prediction for this game. Yeah, I just I don't know what the problem with Liverpool really is. I think every time they turn a corner, they seem to just go back around in a circle. They don't they don't really seem to sort of kick on from there unless you're in the sort of Champions League. But again, you know, I watched the Ajax game and I thought they were quite the, the scoreline certainly flattered them. That's for sure. Um, you know, they are sort of played with injuries at the moment. But Darwin Nunes does look like he's trying to find his footing in the team finally. Um, I don't think Leeds deal well with big physical centre forwards as well, especially from a corner. Um, They haven't got a very good set-piece record and they haven't had a good set-piece record for a while. And again, you're thinking, where are the goals going to come from? You know, Bamford has not looked his sort of prolific self since he's come back from injury. Rodrigo, I think, will, will probably prop up with a goal. He seems like their main man at the moment. And uh, one area which I think we all know um, Liverpool really suffer in is midfield. And I think since Leeds lost Phillips, they haven't really looked the same tenacious ball-winning sort of midfield that we're used to seeing. So I don't think they're going to struggle too much there. I, I do think it's going to be a tight game for them. It's not going to be the kind of game in the past where it's been like 3-3 or 4-3 or anything like that. Um, I do think it's going to be 2-1. I don't see Liverpool having a clean sheet, but I do think they're going to get the job done. Yeah, I, I think Liverpool get the job done at I've I've gone with a 3-1 scoreline and it's going to be like the Ajax game where the scoreline's going to flatter Liverpool. I just think with Nunes starting, he's such a volume shooter that he is due a big game in the Premier League and I think this is the game he gets it. A big 
sort of bully type striker, as you mentioned, that Leeds don't really favor that type of guy. Um, I, I, I think he gets the job done in that one and gets a couple of goals. Um, let's move on to the current Premier League, uh, leaders, Arsenal. They travel to the very resolute, very difficult to beat Nottingham Forest. I, I can tell you they're, they're very hard to beat, you know, um, so. Be warned, Arsenal. <laughs> but Arsenal, it could be interesting because we spoke about Spurs and the mental side of the games. Arsenal could be coming into this game second in the league for the first time in a long time and then have the pressure of this is a must-win game. Um, it, it might be a different dynamic for them, but the fact that it's at home and the fact that it's so hard to beat a top-six side, to then beat two in a row kind of seems impossible to me. I don't see anything other than Arsenal. I think Arsenal make this emphatic. I'm going to go with a 3-0 Arsenal win. Is, is that too harsh? Um, I think I think it's a tad bit harsh. I think Arsenal are really poor at killing games off. Yeah. I, you know, if it was away, I'd probably... And to be fair, you know, we talk about home ground effect. You know, City's ground is famous for it. You know, that's why that's why they beat Arsenal in the FA Cup, I think, what, last year. Um and, and to be fair, you know Dean Henderson was on his on his game last week, um, getting getting tested for something because I don't know. And, and, and let's be honest, Van Dijk probably should have had a hat trick in that yeah. game. <laughs> so how much credit do you really give to Forest? I mean, yeah, fair enough, they stuck in and they you know they managed to get the job done, but Liverpool made it fairly easy for them. I don't think Arsenal will make it easy for them. So I'm I'm going with two 0 but I don't think they're going to kill them off. I think Forest will do what they've done all season: try and frustrate teams, get the odd goal. And let's be honest, the goals they're scoring are not textbook. You know, the Iwani goal was was pretty crap, wasn't it? So um, I, I think it, it would take something very special to beat Arsenal right now. Um, and I definitely don't think Forrest possess anything anything like that to, to beat them. Yeah, and, and I think the big problem for Forrest in this game is going to be the, the size of the pitch. Arsenal make the Emirates really, it's a really, really big pitch. And it, it's harder for teams that are trying to sort of sit back and, and, and hold Arsenal out. Arsenal are going to be able to stretch them and, and find success there. But let's move on to the team or, or the fixture that gave us the um, combined 11. It's Man United versus West Ham. Now, obviously, this game is going to be on Sky Sports, but not everyone has Sky Sports. And if you guys want to guarantee you can watch this game, then link up with our presenting sponsors, Liberty Shield. They are a VPN provider and you can check out their services at libertyshield.com. Save with the coupon code EPL25 for 25% off of your router. Or if you go with the software VPN option, it downloads straight onto your devices. A virtual private network, that is a technology that encrypts your internet traffic it protects you your online identity hides your ip address and shields your online data from third parties you can change your location avoid geoblocks and government imposed restrictions to access any website finally go check out the epl index shop you can find it on etsy if you use the coupon code epl10 you get 10 percent off at checkout and it's a perfect christmas present for some of your family and friends riley Man United versus West Ham. We've mentioned the fact that we've got a lot of West Ham players in this game. I mean, in, in our combined 11, it, is that leaning towards how you see this game going? Are, are you going with your head, your heart? Uh, how are you feeling about Man United versus West Ham? Man United, four points from the two games against Spurs and Chelsea, which is a solid return. You, you'd take that um, at the beginning of the week. And I think I just have to give credit to Ten Hag. I think he's handled the... Ronaldo's situation quite well 
Um, and then West Ham on the other side of things. Um, controversial goals against Bournemouth, but they got they got the result. And then um, West Ham, you know, were struggling at the beginning of the season. Oh, are they going to be involved in a relegation battle? Moyes doesn't know starting 11, etc., etc. Couple of wins, you look up and they're mid-table. They're 10th. <laughs> so, <laughs> crisis, what crisis? Yeah, I, I think... I think we probably only got a goal in us in this game, to be honest with you. We don't tend to play well. I mean, I don't think Moyes has, has won at Old Trafford. I mean, obviously, as manager of Man United, he has. But visiting Old Trafford, I think his record is horrendous. I'm not even. I'm not even sure he's actually beaten um, Man United at Old Trafford in the league, Premier League. He has beaten them, obviously, only just last season at Old Trafford. Um, and you never know whether West Ham eleven is going to turn up. To be honest, it's, it's very weird every single week. Iskamak are going to get a brace. And, and play out of his skin, or is he going to get absolutely bullied by Martinez and and ghost like he did um, the previous week? So I, I'm I'm of the thinking of if West Ham are going to score one, how many is Man United going to score? And for me, it's between obviously one one and two one, and I I just I can't pick between them. But I think the I don't call it jamminess, but we always seem to. We always seem to just have this thing with Man United where we can we can play really well against them and lose, and we can play really badly against them and still lose. Um, I, I think it's going to be two one United. Oh, two one Man United. He's I think we're going to get bullied. He's gone with we're his get bullied in that midfield as well. To be honest, Suchek, who I obviously really love, um, is just going to be under pressure at Old Trafford. He's not going to be passing the ball as well as he needs to. I don't even think Paqueta plays. Unfortunately, I think he might still be injured. So that means you're playing Downs, Sujek and Rice. You're going to get overrun in midfield by Eriksen, Fernandez, and, and Casemiro, unfortunately. Um, and I think that's probably where we're going to suffer the most. 2-1 for Man United. You know what? I'll be the West Ham fan in this in, in, in this segment. I'm not going for a West Ham win, though. I'm going to go with a 2-2 draw. And I think this is the game where you've mentioned how well Martinez has played this season. I think this is the perfect litmus test playing against Skamaka, a big, strong striker that could potentially cause him a lot of problems aerially. Um, And I think that's going to be to the benefit of those those West Ham players that play off of him. I think he's Mm. going to be able to hold it up, bring people into the game, which is going to help maybe to alleviate the pressure on the midfield. Because as you mentioned, Man United's midfield is probably stronger than West Ham's at the moment. But if you've got a big guy up front, that can hold it up and bring the wide players and, and the attacking midfielders into it. You can sort of bypass the midfield. So I'm, I've gone for an, a, a very exciting game, 2-2 to end the weekend. But that's going to do it for another episode of A Tad Predictable. Riley, do you have anything you want to plug, put over or promote before we wrap up? Well, you know, you should know by now, I've been on for a couple of episodes, but um, the West Ham way on YouTube and on Twitter, obviously follow uh, if you're interested in any West Ham news at WXX uh, employee on Twitter. He brings all the latest uh, news, gossip and transfers to West Ham. And obviously my Twitter, Finchie Riley, uh, if you ever want to talk to me on there or listen to the ramblings that I uh, end up getting on. All the Suchek love you guys could ever want. All the Suchek love. (laughs) Uh, From my end, guys, go check out all the content on EPL Index website. We have match previews, post-match reviews, player performances, all of the news you guys could wish for. Um, Of course, there's the daily podcast show, the Two-Footer Podcast with Dave Hendrick. Finally, also check out the flagship show that runs weekly. 
It's the EPL roundtable where Kev DeVries sits down with panelists from respective EPL teams. They do reviewings and previewings of the happenings around the, the Premier League. Um, I was on there last week. We talked about the likes of, you know, Gerard getting fired, how Ten Hag handled the Ronaldo situation. And then obviously it was, uh, a very Liverpool and Spurs heavy podcast. So we commiserated on the form of our teams at the moment, but yeah, definitely a good show. If you want to round up of what's happened in the league, it usually comes out on late Sunday or early Monday morning. So you get this one to preview the weekend and then that one to sort of review um, the weekend, then follow EPR index on Twitter, follow at a tad predictable on Twitter Give us five stars, write positive comments. That stuff really helps us out on your podcast providers. I've been Tadio Chinakira. You can find me on my Twitter handle at TadPredicts. Huge thank you to Obi Semenya. He's at John Empire SA for the guest intros, as well as Jody McKenneth. She's at Spursy141 for the guest intros. Our producer behind the glass, Mr. Guy Drinkle. He's at Guy Drinkle on Twitter. He's been Riley Finch at Finchy Riley. And remember... Chisinga Perry, Chinoshura. And still, Salah, oh, sensational! Son had a goal and still abuses it. Oh, what a strike from Yuri Tielemans. De Bruyne, And it's Wood. Martinelli, gorgeous! Still going up. Oh, he's done it again. Sports Social Podcast Network.